Good morning, everyone, and welcome to this special edition of Wonder Women in Business, uh, Freeman Means Business podcast. So today, what makes this edition so special is this is one of my podcasts I do with allies, male allies. So I am of the mind that we cannot do this alone, nor should we try, that we should have everyone uh, present their insights and so forth. So this is an opportunity for the male allies who want to help us in our fight for equity in the workplace to have their voices heard and to share their thoughts and opinions on certain things. So I'm super excited today to welcome Joel Stern of NAMWOL to the show. Joel, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to be here. And thank you, Susan, for having me. Well, you do such great work, and I am a, a Twitter stalker and a retweeter and a big fan. Um, but for those who don't know you as well, why don't you tell us a little bit about your background? Well, thank you. And what, I have an hour and a half to just... <laughs> um, <laughs> Whatever. I'm just teasing. <laughs> I never said I had a good sense of humor. I do have humor, though. Um, I am a lawyer by trade. I grew up in Cleveland, Ohio. Um, have did a summer internship at Allstate Insurance Company back in 1984. They took me from Cleveland to Chicago, and I've never looked back or moved back. Uh, but from Allstate, I became general counsel of a Sears IBM telecommunications and data processing joint venture. And then in 1996, I went to Accenture, where I was there for 15 years, and I ran their America's Legal Group and was also the COO of the legal group. And then in 2014, I decided to live and breathe diversity and inclusion 24-7 and took on the role of Chief Executive Officer at the National Association of Minority and Women-Owned Law Firms. I'm so happy that you did that because that is how I got to know you. And I think that the whole organization does such tremendous work um, to shine a light on not just the efforts we've made in diversity, but to focus on the fact that we need more inclusion. So I love, love, love what you do. I'm a huge supporter. Um, what compelled you to make that switch? I mean, first of all, I love Chicago. I get that. But what compelled you to work with NAMWOLF? Well, I fell in love with NAMWOLF way back in 2003 when I was at Accenture. And part of my role was coordinating and managing all of our outside counsel budget, but also uh, I helped lead a team in establishing a diversity and inclusion legal group within Accenture that even to this day is considered best in class, and I'm very, very proud of that. Uh, but way back when, in 2003, uh, the general counsel of DuPont, a NAMWF law firm, and a NAMWF staff member at the time knocked on our door and told us about this little organization that had the mission and vision of enhancing diversity and inclusion in our profession but with a razor-like focus on women and minority-owned law firms. And it just hit me in the right spot. It just resonated so well with me that we brought some of those firms into Accenture. We started using them, and then we started getting more involved in the organization. And ultimately, while I was at Accenture, uh, I headed up the NAMWOLF in-house only advisory council, uh, which helped drive NAMWOLF strategy. I then became a board member. And when I left Accenture uh, back in 2012, uh, NAMWOLF was looking for a new CEO. And I have to tell you, because I give my three daughters all the credit, when I was thinking of things that I wanted to do, uh, I wasn't sure I wanted to do this because I thought I could be more impactful uh, with NAMWOLF not in the CEO role. 
But my three daughters all said, when you talk about other positions, your eyes don't light up. And when you talk about NAMWF, your, your eyes immediately light up. And they're the ones that convinced me to take this position. And I'm so happy because they were right again. I have to say, I love that story. So we all should be passionate about what we do for a living. And isn't it nice to get paid for doing something you're passionate about? Um, I am familiar with Nam Wolf. I love what they do and the whole, you know, first of all, a lot of people out there may not know what Nam Wolf is. I'm surprised if they don't, but there might be. So why don't you tell us a bit about how people directly benefit from your work and the work of Nam Wolf? Sure. And let me take you back a step. When, when you think about diversity and inclusion in the legal profession, uh, I start off with the one metric that really, really shares the story in a compelling way. Our profession is dead last with respect to the hiring and retaining of minorities and women. And I always tell people I became a lawyer for two reasons. One, uh, math and science were my weaknesses. And even though I wanted to be a doctor, I knew I couldn't do it. And number two, I wanted to be a leader and effectuate positive change in our profession. And I became a lawyer way back in 1984, and diversity inclusion was always something that meant a lot to me. And now we are in 2020, and our profession is still dead last. So we as a profession have a lot to do. And when you look at diversity inclusion in our profession, you can look at it from many different perspectives. And one of the things that I proselytize to people that, that listen to me is that you can't just look at one area of focus in our profession. You really need to look at it from four different perspectives. One is the internal group, whether you're at a law firm or corporation or a governmental entity. What do you look like internally? Do you have a mentoring program? What do you look like at the highest levels of your organization? Are you paying women and or minorities equitably? Are they given every opportunity to not only survive but thrive? And that's one focus. The second focus, if you're a corporation, is what are we doing with big law to make sure that big law firms are doing what we want them to do as the buyer of legal services? And there's a lot in the paper and a lot on LinkedIn and social media that you've seen, the Mansfield Rule, ABA Resolution 113. Uh, law firms are starting to understand that the carrot and stick approach that corporations are using to get law firms to do better has to be done or they're going to lose business, and that's critically important. The third area is pipeline diversity, and personally, it's my, one of my favorites because to me, the only way to change the world permanently in which we live in is to attack diversity inclusion, not at the law school level or even the college level, but at fourth, fifth, and sixth grade. And I love firms and corporations that are doing a lot in the pipeline area. The fourth area, which is what NAMWF is all about, is supplier diversity. And if you think about that, Susan, most corporations have these highly touted supplier diversity initiatives. And the genesis of those initiatives is that women and minorities have been economically historic and historically disadvantaged for hundreds of years. And therefore, corporations want to make sure that they're giving women and minority-owned enterprises the opportunities to compete and ultimately win business. So I said before, the legal profession's dead last. Why aren't internal legal groups charged with making sure that they're giving these women and minority lawyers that practice at big law that had the entrepreneurial spirit and courage to start their own law firms that same opportunity to compete for and win the business? And that's what NAMWF is all about. NAMWF is a nonprofit trade association of now more than 200 law firms that are all certified as truly women, minority, or LGBT owned. 
And most of the lawyers came from big law and they went off on their own. And what NAMWF is, if you think about it in an easy way of thinking about it, it's a gourmet kitchen. And the delicacies are these thousands of lawyers that work for these minority and women-owned law firms. And the chefs or the buyers are are in-house counsel that's selecting law firms. So we provide an amazing environment for Fortune 500 corporations and governmental entities to shop for the best of the best, but when they're doing it, they're helping support diversity and inclusion in our legal profession. I can't tell you how much I love everything you just said. So I didn't want to interrupt those four, um, you know, focuses that you mentioned are amazing. Pipeline is so important and people do think that it's uh, when someone is entering law school or when they're graduating. We are so far behind for so many reasons. Um, I think you may know this, but I wrote my thesis on transitioning from a practice of law to a business of law way back in 2010 and mm-hmm. haven't moved much. It's, it's a snail's pace. I don't think things have changed since those, uh, you know, in a thesis, you, you, you don't set out to prove something. You set out to learn and what you learn will either agree or not with your thesis. And we have, we're still in the same place that I was talking about then. Um, the research yep. showed that we haven't gone far and we certainly, uh, however far we've gone, we haven't gone fast. So thank you for all that you do. I love the pipeline idea of, you know, introducing um, these concepts and equity and how to, and, and that plays right into what I do for a living too, as you know, um, at a very young age, um, it, it shouldn't be. Uh, you know, pushing against a brick wall when you get older, joining hands and joining forces to push against a brick wall. No, it should be uh, we are on a conveyor belt to a path of success. So let me ask you this. This is kind of an obvious question for me. I know you. I've seen you. Um, What in the world is a white male doing in your position at NAMWOL? I don't mean to be trite, but, but, but why isn't a white male supposed to be in this position. And it's an interesting issue, Susan. I've always, you know, preached that diversity without inclusion doesn't solve. I love affinity groups. They are extremely important. And we need to talk about all the great things they do. And we need to promote them within corporations and law firms and any other structure that you're in. But a personal opinion and a little bit controversial, and it's really from my perspective that I've seen over the 35 years of practicing law, is I don't think that affinity groups necessarily solve because they're missing a huge component. And that component is my definition of inclusion. And what I've seen when I look at law firms and corporations, those that have made the biggest dent with respect to the diversity inclusion mountains we are climbing are groups that are inclusive. When I go to a law firm and I visit with their diversity inclusion legal committee and everybody is 35 and under, and minorities and women or veterans or disabled, they're not necessarily well positioned to solve. You need to see the person, the people over 40, the white male at leadership positions in that room, getting getting dirty, working to solve. And when NAMWF is looking for a CEO, they pick the best person, hopefully, for the position, hopefully that was me at the time, because I probably knew, I knew the organization more than anybody. I've helped it grow from 10 firms to 200. And I think what they were thinking at the time is that if you really want to preach and walk the talk with respect to inclusion, 
why can't this organization have somebody that's a white male leading it to help it get to the next level? So I think the answer in a, in a nutshell is one, uh, NAML picked the person who probably knew more about the organization, all the warts and all the beautiful things about it than anybody and thought I was the one to help take it to the next level. And number two is I think they understood that inclusion solves and diversity without inclusion doesn't. Well, first of all, let's say, I know for a fact you have taken it to the next level. Others who work there would say the same. Um, so congratulations and thank you for all your dedication over the years. Uh, second of all, I get pushback all the time when I say, be, beware the affinity group, be cautious about creating the equal but opposite problem. Swinging the pendulum the other day way yep. doesn't make your argument hold any more water than saying, you know, there are too many men and not enough women. Well, you know, or whatever the mix. So I'm with you on that. And I do get pushback as well on that. But I'll continue to make the case that um, it's not truly inclusion if you start cutting out those who want to cut you out, you know. So it's, um, Susan, that's a great that's a, a great comment. I remember years a few years ago, and I forgot who it was, but a company basically got rid of their affinity groups. And again, the older I get, the less binary I get. Getting rid of affinity groups was not the right answer. Yeah. It was taking the best of these affinity groups, having them come out with amazing structural suggestions and solutions, and then bringing them into an inclusive environment where everybody is at the table to figure out which of these ideas do we want to turn into strategic imperatives. So one without the other doesn't work, but you need both. But again, when you don't make the majority feel welcome, and again, a controversial point, but I, I mean this, is that the white male is historically either part of the problem or will be part of the solution. Personal opinion, I think we are both. And you need the majority that has impeded the progress as a group of people for hundreds of years to be at the table to help find the right solutions or it's going to be a recipe for failure. I agree 1000%. It's almost like, um, you know, to whom are you preaching and what lessons are you sharing if the person who needs to learn them isn't even in the room? Um, I, I feel, I feel exactly what you just said. That was, that was well put and courageous of you to say that actually. Um, you know, I am in a position, I own my own small business. I can say and do what I please, but you work to um, organize and, and run this great organization of these law firms. So pretty risky for you to say something like that. And I respect that courage. Um, so good job. Um, since my focus is on equity in the workplace, what is something, you know, even on a day-to-day -day basis, what can men do to help women achieve equity? Well, they, they can make sure that they understand the metrics. They need to understand the problem that we are all inherited with, which is, a, which is the issue of women and minorities are not being treated equitably in the workplace. And by the way, if you're a woman who also happens to be of color or otherwise be a minority, you know, you get that double hit. So one, you have to understand the numbers. Number two, you have to put your hands in and be part of the solution. Number three, you have to speak up. You know, many times we see the majority, they'll write the right checks, They'll vote the way that they think is appropriate in terms of helping women and other minorities. They'll say the right things. But when they're in actual real life uh, environment where they see the inequity or inequity occurring, 
or they'll see women not being treated equally. Or if a woman makes a comment and it's considered aggressive and arrogant, and the man makes the same comment and he's a skilled negotiator, they have to have the courage to speak up and basically make sure that that type of environment isn't tolerated. The other thing, Susan, you, you mentioned the term ally before, and, and it's funny, I've been called an ally of, of many different groups. I personally don't consider myself an ally of any of the groups. I consider myself an advocate for equality for all. So it's an interesting, you know, and, and I realize I'm probably again in the minority on this one, but I, I never really considered myself an ally of the different communities that I passionately support. I just consider it the right thing to do. Uh, and I always tell- wait, Hold on, sorry. that's such a powerful statement. So yes, calling you an ally does sort of put you outside the lines. You know, it's like you're here to yeah. support, but you're instead saying, no, I'm right in there, in the game, in the mix, on the mat. Um, I love that, that's really powerful. Yeah. I I, I, I like, you know, I like terms. I like terms because they get people excited about joining. So if you say, will you, be a join, uh, will you join uh, the LGBT community and help them ensure equality? The answer is yes, but I just, I never pegged myself as an ally. I just, it's, it's the right thing to do. So it's kind of who you are, right? It's not like a, a label you're putting on yourself or, a, or a, a task that you're taking on. It's, it's from the inside out who you are at least for me, and I always tell people, you know, you always, every day we put our feet in our mouth and we say the wrong thing. I say, look at my heart, right? Don't look at necessarily what comes out of my head because not all the time the words come out exactly as you intend them to be. But at a very early age, and I'm proud to say this, I've lived and breathed equality for all. And I believe in that. And, you know, I'm fortunate that I get to have a job that 24 seven, I get to advocate for it. But what I would implore most people that believe in this but can't do what I do or what you do is that they have to think about what are they going to do almost on a daily basis to change the world. Right. And if they don't consider it as important as the other things that are important to them, that we are not going to move the needle with respect to our profession. Yeah. It, it can't, and just living in this world. So it can't be a side dish. It has to be the main entree. It has to be as important as every other thing you list on your homepage, you know? So, um, yeah, it has to be exactly. Mission. It you cannot be philanthropy. It exactly, exactly. I, I, you know, I have the best job in the world. I get to see what corporations and law firms are doing across the United States, not only with respect to NAMO for supplier diversity, but their, their programs at a more macro level. And what I can tell you, when I look at the groups that are most successful, they treat their programs as a strategic imperative. They have a mission statement, they have a vision, they have accountability, they reward the folks that are supposed to get things done, and they do the opposite for people that are supposed to get things done and don't get them done. They go after awards, they celebrate their successes, they have failures and they communicate them internally because if you don't have failures, it means you're not being innovative enough, but they, they treat it like any other fundamental program that's important to allow that company or that law firm to, to thrive. If they don't do that, you send, it's, it's worse than doing nothing to begin with because you send a message to everybody that's in your company or at your law firm that you're saying you're doing the right things, but you're not. And that's worse than not doing anything to begin with. I agree. I agree. So I love the statement you just made about if you don't have any failures under your belt, it shows you're not innovative enough. I have been called a troublemaker, a dissenter, <laughs> uh, too aggressive. Um, the speed of Susan is not for everyone. So, um, yeah, I hear you. I, I used to, as a younger person, get hurt by that and say, I just don't get how they don't get it.
but now that I'm older and I'd like to pretend that I'm wiser, um, I say I wear it like a badge now, you know? Yeah, I'm aggressive. Yeah. I, you know, speed of season may not be for everyone, but it is for some and it gets stuff done. So I love that you said that. Um, I have some failures under my belt that I'm proud of. Um, win or learn, <laughs> never lose. That's what I, I, I love. I love that, Susan. The interesting thing about the statement you just made is if you were a male and you did the same things, probably several of those adjectives would never have been used to describe what you do day to day. And that's part of the problem. It is. It is. And I, I, I would be making way more money for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Which is what we're both here to fix. <laughs> Exactly, exactly. Well, I just think you are the bee's knees, and I pretend that you have some free time, so pretend with me that you have free time and tell me what you do with it. Well, as, as, as you know me a little bit, my three daughters are, are everything to me, and uh, it's, I always tell the story when my wife and I got married uh, back in 1987. I did get that right. Thank you. Foot not in mouth. <laughs> We said we would have three daughters. And by the way, one of the reasons I originally got excited about diversity and inclusion is we both talked about the fact that we wanted to have our daughters basically be able to do whatever they want and be treated equitably. And that was one of the you know, first, first you know, impetus to, to get excited about diversity and inclusion is just making this world better, uh, better for them. But they are everything to us. They are grown up. I have a, a pediatrician in Lake Forest, so I'm living my life vicariously through her in Illinois. I have an act a pastry chef turned actuary at Allstate. And then my third daughter, who gave me my first grandson, uh, is in talent management at a large company in, in the Chicago area. Uh, so we spent a lot of time with them. I surely love spending time with my grandson. Uh, I am a tennis fanatic. And for those that are listening that know me, I didn't say I'm a great tennis player. I said I'm a tennis <laughs> fanatic. I love I love playing, uh, and I also do love watching it. Uh, I am a Cleveland sports fanatic, which means I'm typically a very unhappy person, uh, <laughs> and love uh, love theater, movies, and books. But uh, you know, it's, it's funny. The the older I get, you know, time is more and more precious, and and just spending it with my family is probably the number one thing that I love to do. That is so great. That is so great. So I know you opened with, um, you think you're funny. Well, let's close with the fact that I think you're funny too. So <laughs> Thank you, Susan. I love how much you love your daughters and that you uh, want them to grow up. Well, they have grown up uh, in this world, but maybe your grandchildren to grow up in a world where um, this is not even an initiative anymore. It's just how things are, you know? So may, hopefully if we do our jobs right, we will be out of jobs someday. Um, this will just be how people live in, in fairness and equality. I am not giving up, but I always tell people I would love for NAMWOLF and what we do to be an anachronism. Yes. Nobody could understand. Why do, why do we have to support minority women-owned law firms? Why do we, why do we even talk about them? Um, and, and that is my goal. And, and by the way, I do want to thank the hundreds of corporations and governmental entities that are supporting this or and, and business partners that support this organization. Um, our brand has increased the last several years. It is amazing the hundreds of millions of dollars that are going to not only our firms, but other firms that aren't part of NAMWF that are women and or minority owned, which is equally, equally as important. Uh, so I'm, I'm happy with the progress that we as an organization have made. As a profession, we have a long way to go. Again, we have to live yeah. and breathe this every every day. Yeah. Well, one quick question that I didn't um, anticipate asking, but should. Let's take this opportunity to tell the folks who are listening, um, 
you know, what is Nam Wolf's mission? Who is Nam Wolf? Why should they join? Well, Nam again, Nam Wolf is a, is an an organization for the law firm. So if you're a woman or minority-owned law firm that meet our criteria, which are on www.namwolf.org. Uh, we'd love you to join because we think we provide an amazing environment for you to be introduced to buyers of legal services that are interested in utilizing your services. If you're a corporation and you have a legal group and you have outside counsel spend, we would love for you to give us a look-see. Most people f absolutely fall in love with the organization once they go to one of our two meetings a year or get to know that my team or the law firms or the corporate lawyers that are part of the organization. And if you're a business partner, I took the word vendor out of my vernacular years ago, but if you're a business partner, if you provide services or products to the legal community and you want to join an amazing organization and be part of it and at least have the opportunity to showcase your wares to people that are interested in buying them, uh, you should talk to us about potentially being a business partner. Uh, but I will tell you something about NAMWOF, which I, I am so, so pleased to be part of an organization that thinks this way. I have never met a law firm at NAMWOF or a woman or minority lawyer at NAMWOF that says to people, give me the business because I'm African-American or give me the business because I'm a woman or give me the business because I have been historically economically disadvantaged you know, since day one. What they do say, and I think they have every right to say this, is let me come in to your shop and show you how great I am. Give me that opportunity. Treat me like you would any other law firm. And if you like what I have to offer, give me the chance to service you. And I will not only meet your expectations, I will exceed your expectations. We are selling quality and value and also diversity inclusion in that order. And yeah. that's important for people to understand. This is not about hiring a law firm so you feel good. This is about giving these firms the opportunity to showcase their talents and then pick them if they meet whatever criteria you use and you will be wowed. Exactly, exactly. So I'll say my experience with the uh, members of your organization has been one where they're much, uh, not, this is uh, again, personal, you know, everybody's different, but the people that I have connected with who are members, uh, they are much more inclined to um, ask you questions about your needs and your problems and challenges and concerns and try to solve or prevent, even better yet, those uh, problems or challenges. I think they're much more community uh, you know, driven and they're more, um, let's say, consultative in their approach to uh, selling their services, uh, their legal services. So I like that. I like that very much. They're, you know, it's not uh, pushing products or services, but it's in fact, uh, how can I help you achieve your goals? Or what can I, let's learn what I can do to help you prevent problems or solve problems either way. And I like that. Um, so let me ask you this. What is your email address? Because I know you're open to people reaching out. So how can people connect with you? I am very easy to find. Um, I am Joel underscore Stern, S-T-E-R-N as in Nancy, at namwolf.org. And please reach out if you have any questions, not only about NAMWOLF, but about diversity inclusion at a broader level. Uh, Susan, I should point out that I've created a CLE that has been accredited in most states. It's called Diversity and Inclusion in the Legal Profession of Business and Moral Imperative. 
I've given it to hundreds of, uh, well, probably thousands of lawyers, hundreds of corporations across the United States, and it has served as a way to galvanize lawyers within those groups to do more with respect to diversity inclusion. It's something we offer at no cost, and I love to do it. And the fun part about doing it is usually a week or two later, people start asking questions about NAMO. If they come to our meetings, they want to use our firms, but only 15 minutes of that, 75 minutes is on NAMO. The rest is about the broader issues of diversity and inclusion in our profession. I think that's huge. You're adding a lot of value uh, to even knowing Joel Stern and knowing Namwell. So that's awesome. We'll put more information about all of that in the blog that I write. Um, folks, you know that I write a blog about my guests. I'll include contact information and hyperlinks so that you can easily reach them and their websites and email them and so forth. So Joel, you're amazing. You know, I think so. Um, thank you for spending a little of your very precious time with us today. And thank you, Susan, for doing all the great things that you're doing. We appreciate you. Awesome. Awesome. I do things. That's, that's why I do what I do. I know my husband hates to hear me say it's about the message, not the money. He's like, would you stop saying that? <laughs> but it is. It's truly, we need to get the message out there. All right. Have a good day, everybody. And thanks for listening.